electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Congratulations, guys. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Nadine Turman, and hopefully Steve Grasso will join us shortly. Tonight on Fast, game on for the tech trade. A handful of big cap tech stocks hitting fresh all-time highs. We'll break down how our traders are playing the record move. Plus, CME Group Chairman and CEO Terry Duffy joins us exclusively. We'll get his take on the markets, the economy, and the retail trading boom. And later, some out-of-this-world numbers as investors pile into the new space ETF from ARC. So is there real money to be made in the final frontier? We'll debate that. But we start off with the Roaring Twenties. Break out your jazz records, bathtub gin, because Jamie Dimon says it is boom time for the U.S. economy. The J.P. Morgan CEO going all in on America in his annual letter to shareholders. If you didn't have time to read all 66 pages, which includes a full page of footnotes, you've got your back. Here's the Fast Money Notes version of the letter. Diamond says market valuations are high but justified due to excess savings, deficit spending, and strong economic growth. Banks are playing an increasingly smaller role in the financial system due to the rise of fintech. Investors shouldn't abandon companies that produce and consume fossil fuels. And China's on the rise, and America should get ready for it. But the bottom line, it is boom time of the old USA. So is he right? Guy, what do you say? Well, it's interesting. A lot. Of, I didn't read the 66 pages. I'm a Cliff Notes guy, as you can imagine. I'm sure you frowned upon people like me in college, Mel. But Tim has been <laughs> saying a lot of the same things that I read in his for literally the last year, and it's all coming to fruition. So, is it is it on the horizon? It certainly appears that way. I mean, you just look across some of the numbers that are coming out. The economic numbers are coming out. You just sort of look at the euphoria and the optimism that's out there, not only in the markets but in other areas. I mean, a lot of what he says seems to make a lot of sense. I'm one of these people that thinks valuations are stretched. He's not concerned. He's ahead of J.P. Morgan. I'm not. So I'll sort of leave it to him. Um, but it certainly feels as though the market's looking uh, certainly the way that Jamie is predicting right now. I guess the question is, how strong do you think the boom is in, in deciding whether or not valuations are stretched? Jamie Dimon saying the boom could last another two years. And so therefore, valuations do not look stretched. Nadine, what do you say? You know, the one area we agree with him is that what's going to fuel this rebound is energy. So we're long energy and have to agree with Jamie there. But he's really talking about a Goldilocks scenario, Mel, and we're looking around for the three bears. And so um, we're not of the view that it's going to be lasting that long. But instead, what we're looking at is measuring and mapping a lot of the GDP data. And it really comes down to math. If we could keep seeing acceleration of GDP, Diamond's going to be right. But if you start seeing a deceleration, so even if the numbers are, the levels are high, if they're decelerating, it's not going to come to fruition. Yeah, part of this notion of this huge boom that's coming is what we've been talking on the show, and that is the extraordinary <laughs> amount of deleveraging happening on the part of corporations as well as consumers. Consumers have lowered their debt to the lowest levels in 40 years, according to Jamie Dimon. That's going to unleash what he calls extraordinary spending across the board, Tim. And that seems pretty boomish to me. 
Very boomish, uh, you know, talks about kind of a new Marshall style plan, mm -hmm. which, you know, we know from history was rebuilding Western Europe. Uh, and he talked a lot about infrastructure and rebuilding uh, the foundations of this country, especially some of that infrastructure. So uh, the consumer boom, uh, the pent up demand uh, comes together behind two point three trillion and a Federal Reserve that he went out of his way to po you know, point out how both the government and the Federal Reserve were very proactive and, and made extraordinary steps during the early stages of COVID. So. Look, I also heard him talk about how corporate taxes may have to come up. I heard him also say, though, he thinks, you know, they will come up moderately and, and, and reasonably and balanced. That Hearing Jamie Dimon that bullish, um, and I read five different interpretations, by the way, and I, I did get five different answers, especially in the political spectrum, what people chose to write about. But from a market's context, when he's asked to talk about the economy, this was as bullish as I've heard him for a guy that's often very measured. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I don't know how you extrapolate a guy into the financial services world since Diamond specifically talks about the competition that banks are facing and the competition lies outside of the banking world. Um, and it is being fueled by the, the lack of or lesser regulations that they face versus the banks. So shadow banking, for instance, online platforms and funds that lend fintech companies that are making trading and investing a lot easier. Where do you stand on that? Because that does seem like a big threat. And at the same time, you're saying we may buy, we may buy stuff. We are poised for acquisitions. They have to be. I mean, mm -hmm. they have to be poised because traditional banks, listen, JP Morgan, it's within a whisper of an all-time high, as is Goldman Sachs. Traditional banks, they'll find themselves in the crosshairs of this new world without question. They have to adapt or they're going to become extinct. I think JP Morgan We'll figure that out. I think there are going to be some banks that are left by the wayside. You know, without question, the DeFi that's around us all, you hear that term day in, day out. I mean, that's no question taking over. And you, when you have a company like Square, you know, with Square Financial, and you, you can run the list of companies that are moving into the space, there is huge pressures um, and huge competition without question for the traditional banks. They're not all going away. And to Jamie Dimon's point, they will make acquisitions, but the, the, the earth under their feet has been moving literally for the last six to nine months. Yeah. Steve Grasso joins us by phone. He's having some technical issues with his shot. But, Steve, we're talking about financial services and the competition there. And I'm wondering how you think about it in terms of the winners on the big bank side and the potential targets on the, uh, on the smaller, the fintech side of things. Yeah. So, so just to to echo a little bit of what Guy was saying and then just to just bring in the fact that this is the epicenter of the value trade that has outperformed since September. So J.P. Morgan is up 70% or thereabouts since September. A name like Square is only up. Let's go year to date on Square because that ran, ran rough shot. That's in the fintech uh, bullseye as well, as well as what you're talking about. That's only up 12% year-to-date against the J.P. Morgan, up 22% year-to-date. So for me, there's been a huge gap between value and growth. And, yes, J.P. Morgan is going to have a lot of competition in the fintech world, but I think they have extremely deep pockets where they can, as you mentioned, buy whoever they have to buy to stay competitive. Yeah, obviously another big theme in the letter, Tim, is China. Uh, and I'm wondering what your take yep. being, uh, you know, we call you the ambassador on the show. That's your old nickname here since your uh, you. specialty is emerging markets. Um, is he right on that front? 
Well, uh, I, I think he's he's pointing out the risks and that can will continue not just you know kind of geopolitically um, and but control issues around the internet, control issues around trade. Um, I, I think we will continue to find uh, we are on the other side of of. China on issues on kind of global economic strategic importance, and China's fighting its 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 way to be a reserve currency, and a reserve money center, and a reserve banking center, and a reserve market. Um, so I, I get that. Um, I you know I think the 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 deficit spending dynamic of what he said is really what I I worry mm -hmm. the most about. I think about you know almost euphoric uh, kind of reaction and and something that can't last forever when you light that piece of newspaper on the fire and that's all that burns. Um, and, and, you know, Guy referenced his favorite, Carol King, who I know is a top five artist for him, Desert Island style, uh, feeling the earth move under his feet. Um, she feels the, the sky tumbling down. And, and I, I, you know, the sense I got from this letter is it's going to be extraordinary while it happens, but there's no free lunch. And, I, you know, that's the glass half empty side of this. Uh, I think for J.P. Morgan and the banks, it's going to be extraordinary. It's been a great run, as Steve has pointed out, for banks. Um, and I think that's going to continue. All right. So, um, you know, in discussing this letter and thinking about this letter, we thought if Jamie Dimon is right, what do you do as an investor? How do you trade this letter? So that's the game. If Jamie Dimon is right, what do you do? Nadine, what do you do? Two things. One, long energy and two, short the dollar. China's got its own virtual currency and it's going straight after to destabilize the dollar. Steve Grasso, if Jamie Dimon is right, what do you do? So I, I think a lot of this has to be looked through where he, where he said people are going to have a lot of money to spend, a lot of money to put to work. I think you have to look at stimulus being thrown at people, and you have to look at consumer-facing names. So I would go with Westrock, which is uh, containers and packaging. So that benefits from e-commerce. And then uh, you get a little bit of a kicker. Next week we're going to have pricing out. People are looking for an upside surprise in pricing uh, in container board. But if you look at infrastructure, that's going to be spread out over four years at the, at the very minimum. Stimulus is immediate. So I would look for those retail consumer names or something that would benefit from that uh, on e-commerce as Westrock would, WRK. All right. Tim, what's your diamond trade? If the consumer does well, banks do well, um, most notably in this next earnings period and the next two periods. And I, I, you know, when Jamie Dimon talks like this before earnings period, I, I kind of want to own J.P. Morgan. Um, the reserves coming off uh, that these banks had put aside right at the beginning of COVID, they were enormous while they're having record earnings. They're going to have record earnings again because capital markets are kicking it. Mortgage markets are better. Consumer lending is better. And reserves are coming off. Yeah, I mean, we were just talking yesterday about Credit Suisse and how everything was so great up until Greensill and Archegos. And that just speaks to how well banks did overall in the first quarter and how strong it was for business. Guy Dami, if Jamie Dimon is right, what would you do? First of all, I mean, I, I can't believe you say if. If Karen were here, she would correct <laughs> you and say he's never wrong, number one. Don't we have, like, fun graphics? Our crack staff and Englewood Cliffs really can put game. together some it's, it's fun game. Trade, you said it was a okay. game. You said, to let's play this game. to you because I knew that you would respond to a game but not respond to just a trade. <laughs> so this is a game for you. Fair. I think, listen, so he talked about traditional banks facing some headwinds, which I hear. Well, one of the other great bank CEOs that we don't talk about enough is Steve Schwartzman. And Blackstone has just been... Slow and steady wins the race. I mean, they're trading effectively at an all-time high. 
reasonable valuations. And if the environment that Jamie thinks is going to happen will happen over the next couple of years, it's going to be sort of this golden age of private equity and, and Blackstone is poised to take advantage of it. So for me, it's been and continues to be BX. All right. Let's talk more about all of this. Joining us now in a Fast Money exclusive, Terry Duffy, the CME Group chairman and CEO and a Fast Money friend. Terry, great to see you. Thank you, Melissa. Appreciate it. Are you as optimistic as Jamie Dimon? <laughs> I was just kind of listening to your show, though, but I kind of agree with Guy Adami. I don't think Jamie's ever been wrong. Uh, listen, I, I do agree a, little, a lot with Jamie. I think he's a terrific guy and a dear friend. Um, I think he made a lot of strong comments in that letter. I think it was 62 pages or whatever it was. Um, you know, it's really hard to make the prediction of what's going to happen for the next two years. It's kind of hard to predict what's going to happen next week. Uh, but again, I, I think when there's money falling out of helicopters from the government, like he pointed out with the stimulus and other things, it's kind of hard to say that he's going to be wrong. I think we're, I think some of your other conversation where I, I kind of disagree with Jamie and I shouldn't, it's his business, is the shadow banking and the fintech taking over the traditional banking uh, space. You know, I think when you look at shadow banking and lending of that nature, it's really easy to get into somebody else's business when the markets are going straight up and there's calm waters. But what about when it gets a little rocky and it goes down the other way? Will those people still be there to replace the traditional banks that they do in business today? So I think fintech, on the other hand, helps enable that. The shadow banking business, I don't know if I'd be so overly concerned if I was a big bank. Uh, Jamie points it out, but at the same time, it's really easy to be a disruptor when things are going well. It's really hard to be a replacer when things are going bad. That's a really good point in terms of these companies and these funds out there operating in the shadow banking world and in fintech not having existed in a world in which interest rates weren't zero. And so when they're not, <laughs> right. it's going to make a big difference potentially. You said making predictions is hard to do, but I'm going to ask you to make a prediction because I want you to look into your crystal ball and tell <laughs> us about your business and how you, how you look at the reopening. We've seen a tremendous amount of trading volume across products during this pandemic. Uh, the rise of the retail trader, et cetera. How do you start thinking about what business looks like on the other side of things? And do you think volumes can be sustained? Well, it's hard to say of how, what the volumes are going to be, Melissa, and the sustainability of anything. But I will say, just when you think you got things figured out, they change. So I know the Fed minutes came out today, and they talked about how rates are going to be you know, quiet for a projected period of time. We've all heard the story, but yet we've seen the steepest widening of the yield curve that we've seen in a long, long time that no one saw coming. So just when you get complacent is normally when you get hurt. So I, I think for our business, you know, the cost of, of risk management is so cheap. And in a world where it can change so quickly, if you try to manage your risk after the event has even been announced or thereafter, it's too late. It's, it's gone. So I think people are going to continue to look at our products as alternatives to mi mitigate their risk to grow their businesses. So, Terry, my question to you is, and obviously, oh, as always, thanks for being here. You know, what does the retail trader want? You know, what do they want access to and how are you addressing it at CME? Uh, that's a great question, Guy. Um, you know, it's really fascinating what's gone on with the retail trader over the last several months. But, you know, I think the retail trader has figured out a couple things. First, they don't want any friction and they want access to the marketplace like everybody else gets it. So how do you give it to them? And 
today's world, you know, the retail trader is not going away, in my opinion. I think they're going to continue to grow. And companies like CME and others are going to have to continue to look at ways to make sure that they have access to the marketplace, no different than anybody else does, with very little friction, so they can go ahead and participate in the marketplace. People want to be driving their own cars, flying their own planes, call it what you want, but the retail trader is no different. They saw a lot what happened with the Robin Hood uh, scenario where there's no fees, and then they found out there's payment for order flow. So there's been a lot of things uncovered by the retail trader in the last couple of months, and I think they're going to use that to their benefit to, again, eliminate friction and gain greater access to the marketplace. Um, to that point of the, of the retail trader not going away, Terry, and, and coming out with products, you're launching Bitcoin mini futures. And this, when I, when I read yeah. about it, it sounded like a product specifically for the retail trader. Is there any concern on your part that retail traders are jumping headlong into, into trading, into products like this, which they may not understand? I guess I would ask the question back to you, Melissa. Are the participants who are retail traders jumping headlong into gambling all around the world when you have commercials from certain entities that are offering the first $2,000 free. Don't worry about it, and then we'll keep going. So the retail trader is much more savvy today. And when you look at a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin at $56,000, $57,000 Bitcoin, our contract is five Bitcoins uh, per contract. So it's an extremely large contract. We're talking several hundred thousand dollars for one of our contracts. So to go into a smaller one, it's not just catering to the retail participants, Melissa. It's, it's, it's catering to the institutional clients because of the value of the increase of the cryptocurrency in of itself. All right. Terry, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. And, you know, we, we often say CEOs, they're watching the show. We joke around. But you actually do watch, and we do appreciate that. <laughs> I, I do watch your show, Melissa, and Guy and the rest of the folks there. You guys do a terrific job, and I appreciate it very much. Very educational, so thank you. All right. We'll see you soon, Terry. Thanks. Be well. Terry Duffy of the CME. All right. Tim, what do you think? Uh, first of all, you know, on CME, it's, it's interesting. It's a stock that's, you know, for a couple of years is, you know, underperformed a bit. But, but really, again, trading volumes and relative to where we are in the cycle, in the capital market cycle, um, I think that's really the upgrade. There have been a couple upgrades for, for CME. The issue may be valuation. But look at that EBIT, EBIT margin of, you know, north of 60 percent. So, look, Terry and his team have evolved with a, a landscape that has been evolving for 20 years. Uh, and I'm sure they're going to continue to be in the thick of it. Grasso, i got to go to you about trading volumes and your thoughts post-pandemic. Yeah, I think that we've, we've uh, totally uh, tapped into a whole new demogra- demographic that is engaged in the marketplace. It is really astounding how this demographic is so engaged. And, and I, would, I would caution, though, that uh, it, my first blush knee-jerk reaction is, is to go where Tim went with the exchanges and say the exchanges are going to have bloated volume. The second thing is there's, a, there's also a lot of people that have been extremely receptive and engaged because of the pandemic, and they're sitting at home. So I don't know when we come out of the pandemic if they're going to be this engaged. Mm. But I will tell you, I have twin boys that will be 12 in June, and my boys are interested in trading now. I was not interested in trading at 12 years old. Guy Adami was. He was interested in trading at 5 back in, and there was a bunch of stuff going on underneath that buttonwood tree when Guy was five years old. But this is something that I've seen uh, never before, the engagement level in college kids, 
high school kids and elementary school kids, and you got to play it. I would I would guess through the exchanges because volumes will explode going forward. Nice buttonwood tree reference, Grasso. Coming up, <laughs> tech gone wild. Some big cap tech stocks that you probably already own hitting all time highs today. Will the rally mode last or desk will weigh in? And later, we are hitting the energy market. Why option traders are betting on a cruel summer ahead for crude oil. That trade and much more when Fast Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Twitter topping the tape today. The stock jumping after the company said it's exploring ways to monetize its audio feature spaces. And separately, Bloomberg is reporting that Twitter held discussions for a $4 billion clubhouse takeover, but the talks are no longer ongoing. Nadine, how do you feel about Twitter uh, trying to, to buy clubhouse? I mean, I think that they've done an amazing job leveraging their space and obviously they've built up a platform and now they're monetizing it. So whether they get Clubhouse or not, they're making strategic moves. And that's the kind of management team you want to back with the platform you want to own. Yeah. Grasso, your thoughts? Yeah. The, the only problem I have with it, with Twitter, and I agree with Nadine, that they've the biggest problem with Twitter is that they haven't been able to monetize uh, anybody who's on the platform. If they can start doing that where they will have a, a buy switch or, so, or, as you said, with Clubhouse, something social like that, I think it's a screaming buy. But the chart tells me that it is in a downward trend. It's, the chart is very similar to Snapchat. I'd rather, if it were a would-you-rather, which I am self-would-you-rathering, I'd rather be in Snapchat. Both charts are equally un- unimpressive. But I would like to be in Snapchat because they've figured out how to keep the momentum going. Millennials love it. Kids love it. I have not seen 
any of the energy or momentum subside at all with Snapchat. Calcitrant, even on the phone, Steve Grasso. <laughs> uh, Guy, Guy Adami, um, you use spaces, surprisingly. I never thought I would say that sentence, and you may be the only person on this panel who actually uses spaces. Um, so it seems to me Crazy, that it would be right? easy. I mean, you see, you make fun to, of me. Well, you, you don't buy anything online, yeah. and yet you use spaces. So that seems to be the irony in everything. Um, but it does seem that it would be the easy and logical next step to monetize that. Yeah, I'm a walking contradiction, no doubt. And calcitrant, I mean, great word by you. I didn't expect less. If Dan were here, he would say spaces is Twitter's to lose, that people that are on Clubhouse are typically there looking at Twitter. It's probably a good miss by Twitter. Uh, and I think they can monetize this platform. I think it's going to be huge for Twitter without question. The stock has pulled back to Steve's point. They report, I think, on April 28th. They're not going to be valuation. But I think Jack Dorky's, Dorsey's done a remarkable job. So I actually would buy Twitter here. I think space is going to be a lot bigger than people think. All right, let's stick with tech here because some big names really took off today. Shares of Microsoft, Alphabet, Facebook all jumping to record highs. And the best could still be yet to come. Wedbush came out with a new note saying tech stocks could see another 30% upside by year end. Tim Seymour, do you think the uh, ever bullish Dan Ives is right? Um, look, I, if the mechanics of the mega cap tech stocks and the market are that if we believe the market's going higher, they're, they're going higher and they're leading us. And, you know, the, the top 40% of the NASDAQ 100 is 22% of the S&P. Uh, having said that, uh, look, I, I, I think the valuations there at a time when people have been you know, questioning that are OK. What were the headwinds for mega cap tech in the last couple couple quarters? Um, some of it were regulatory. Some of it were, were uh, some very interesting and, and appropriate rotation into value uh, and so industrial cyclicality. Um, but but look, we, we have uh, seen why Google can continue to, to, to re-rate. We probably uh, can do the same in, in Facebook. Um, Apple has been languishing and Amazon's a chart that frankly has done nothing since July. Uh, mm-hmm. And yet they may be in the greatest e-commerce cycle of, of their lifetime. So um, there's a lot to be excited about for companies that have a great balance sheet. So you don't get too far off that downdraft to mid-March. Uh, actually, March 8th, I think it was. Triple Qs have outperformed the S&P by about 3.5%. I'm not surprised. Yeah, and, and by the way, Alphabet is a reopening trade as well, and, and a lot of people forget that. According to Morgan Stanley, 10 to 15% of paid search is travel-related. So as that opens up, Nadine, Google should theoretically benefit. I think your point here is one of our key aspects, which is you have to pick the right tech. Because if you look at the Qs, and Tim pointed it out, but they're trading at an implied volatility discount of 30%. And what that means is that people are a little complacent right now. So you might want to own tech, but you have to choose the right tech and then hedge that when you get to these kind of times when people are a little bit complacent. So again, we're a bit bullish on the intermediate term, but again, stock selection is very important. It's not owning anything. And then try to hedge that broad brush factor exposure, which we've seen really hurt in the last month. All right, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Oh dear, a popular space ETF might not be so out of this world after all. It's a classic instance of know what you own. We'll dig into that one later. Plus, is there easy money to be made in the SPAC market? The SPAC King joins us next to break down that trade. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tonight's big number, 549. That's how many SPACs have priced since 2020. And of those that priced in the past year, 134 have yet to announce targets and are currently trading below the $10 floor. So we're thinking, why don't investors just buy up these underwater SPACs and make some easy money? Because you should be getting 10. Or is that strategy just too good to be true? Let's ask Julian Klamachko, CEO of Accelerate Financial Technologies. He manages the Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, an ETF that tracks SPACs and mergers. Julian, welcome back. Thank you, Melissa, for having me. Happy to be here. So it seems like the easy thing to do, right? Isn't this free money, buying a sub-$10 SPAC and knowing that it's going to be worth 10 Yeah, you know, you're right. And some of these aren't just worth $10. They have this what we call upside optionality. Say they announce an attractive business combination. We saw that with BOEX and WeWork. And who would have guessed WeWork would rally over 20% on its going public transaction. But that's what it did. And now that stock's around 13 and change. So there's more upside beyond just the $10 floor. So if you can buy these things below $10, I think it's a gift to investors. I think investors should really take a look at that. And that's what we refer to as SPAC arbitrage. If you can buy it sub $10, you do get that floor. But I know we're on fast money. This is more of a slow money strategy because generally you can be waiting a year, maybe even two years for the sponsor to announce a business combination. So it does require patience. And while this is free money, it does require a lot of attention and diligence to the process because I consider it a strategy that's simple but not easy. It's simple, yeah, you buy it nine ninety, you can get ten dollars back. Hopefully they announce an attractive deal and get you to twelve, thirteen, fifteen dollars per share. However, you know, if they announce a deal, it's not very good, you want to redeem but you miss the redemption date. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, it's down at $8 and you lost your shirt on that one. So right. it does require diligence and it does require some skill yeah. and attention and patience. I mean, time value of money is important because you could be just locking up your money in this trade for a, an unknown amount of time, as you point out. You also have to be on top of the trade in that you have to be aware of when as a shareholder you vote on whether or not you cash in on 10 or you go ahead and proceed with potentially participating to the upside. So there's a lot involved in this. But is there any scenario in which you would not be returned $10, that you would not have the opportunity to, to be returned $10? So as long as you keep up to date with mm-hmm. respect to the redemption and you know they have this liquidation process, and that capital just owns short-term treasury bills and trust. So in the, a very small scenario, probability scenario, in which perhaps the U.S. Treasury defaults on its obligations, which I think is nil, you know, that capital is basically guaranteed where you get the $10 plus interest back as long as you affect the strategy correctly and don't miss that redemption date. So, you know, I encourage investors to be diligent about it. The other thing is, this is the type of strategy you want to be well diversified because ultimately you never know which one is really going to pay off. It's basically like a basket of call options. 
Hey, Julian, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. I invest in SPACs. I have one, a couple in my cannabis ETF, and you've listed some SPACs uh, in the notes that we got that you think are interesting. Uh, I'm curious how you're assessing uh, a SPAC, you know, pre-deal. And, you know, you've listed some, some, some names that I think are, are certainly companies that I know have established track records in private equity, et cetera. So just some more color on how you're making that assessment. Yeah, you really nailed the main point there, Tim, is that sponsor track record, sponsor reputation. You got to know that they have good deal flow in order to get a business combination complete, because if they don't and end up liquidating, then all you get back is your $10 plus accrued interest. And that warrant that comes as or that fraction of a warrant that comes as part of a unit, that's basically worthless. So that is really like the bad case scenario and you don't want to get stuck in a SPAC that doesn't do a deal and ends up liquidating. So yeah, you definitely want to pay attention to sponsor quality, sponsor track record. So certainly if they've had success in the SPAC space in the past, i.e. are now on their second, third, even fourth or fifth one, uh, then that really adds to the appeal. The other thing is price paid. I constantly am cautioning investors, mm-hmm. don't pay too much for these things pre-deal. Ideally, you want to buy it at a discount because that really protects your downside. And that's the name of the game here, protecting downside and having exposure to that upside on a good deal. And that upside optionality on a good deal, you can make the case that that's stronger for more reputable mm-hmm. sponsors with good deal flow. Julian, great to see you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Julian Klamachkow. Uh, Steve Grasso out there on the phone with the NYSC. Uh, you have invested in SPACs pre-deal. How do you do it? I, I, I have, and uh, I, I, I agree with everything the guest uh, had said. And the problem with SPACs now is that the environment, with that switch and the headwind that we've seen with a lot of these speculative investments, they've been under tremendous weight. So the key is uh, you have to buy the management team. I bought Bill Foley's SPACs, so I started with the FT, which is PaySafe now, and WPF, which is uh, right now they're still uh, pre, they're, they announced, but they, they haven't flipped symbol yet. That'll be sometime uh, before the end of the second quarter. I do it on a timeline. Obviously, you want to buy it like every other uh, stock. You want to buy it at a discount, but unfortunately and unfortunately, now you're getting discounts. But you have to buy the management team and the growth potential, and you have to, above all else, be patient, Melissa. All right, Steve, thanks for that. Coming up, is this trade running out of energy? The options market's predicting downside ahead. We'll dig into that later. But first, hungry for gains. We're talking the restaurant stocks. Which names are the teens sinking their teeth into? And should you? That full report's next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Hungry? Well, Piper Sandler has just put out its latest list on where teens are heading to grab a bite. Let's get to Kate Rogers with the details. Kate. Hey, Melissa, we all know that teens love their food and no surprise here. Food is teens number one wallet priority overall in the survey at 23% of wallet share. For males, it's actually the top priority. For females, number two behind clothing and accessories. The top brands for both upper income and average income teens are Chick-fil-A, Starbucks and Chipotle. The survey says that Chipotle is holding steady with brand scores and gaining traction with average income teens thanks to its marketing awareness campaigns. Places like TikTok, it's got a merchandise 
Priceline, and more. Starbucks is the most preferred coffee company, but its mindshare is muted from prior highs. Piper Sandler says its brand equity is relevant social currency among Gen Z. McDonald's is still in the top five brands for upper and average income teens, but its mindshare also dipped. This could shift, though, as the company's leaned even more into digital engagement, and it has celebrity celebrity rather partnerships with Travis Scott and Jay Balvin. Now, overall, teens overwhelmingly prefer limited service brands to full service brands that offer social experience with that affordability factor. Piper Sandler projects that restaurant spending is going to rebound as mobility and spending patterns return in this new normal. Melissa, back over to you. So in the new normal, Kate, should we expect that the the casual sit-down restaurants will make a comeback, so to speak, or is it always going to be QSR? So the casual names have really been rebounding, but uh, as far as the teen survey, only Olive Garden cracked the top five uh, in both of those categories. So they really tend to favor the fast food and the QSR, but overall investors seem to be optimistic about casual dining. Those names have been really moving higher and more people are going to dine indoors. So we'll have to see. All right, Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers, let's trade some of the names. Uh, Guy Dami, I'll go to you. You've been a fan of CMG for for quite some time. The stock, maybe not the uh, burrito. No, no, you're both. And I actually went to the CMG last night. My daughter said, what do you want for dinner? And she said, how about Chipotle? I said, done. So I actually went and got it, number one. Number two, Kate mentioned Piper Sandler a couple times. Nicole Miller-Reagan's the analyst there, and she has been the absolute axe in the space, especially when it comes to CMG. She has a $2,000 price target they report at the end of the month. I think you own the stock. It had a bit of a pullback, obviously, but it's gotten off the mat, uh, threatening new all-time highs. I think CMG is still best in class. Uh, That's where you go in the fast food area. Chick-fil-A, obviously, not publicly traded, but number one amongst teens. So, Tim, how should we sort of um, think about that as as it impacts some of the other publicly traded QSRs like a McDonald's? Well, yeah, I think, you know, across fast food, McDonald's is also, I think, done a great job of finding, you know, a little more panache or appeal to younger and call it Gen Z, both through the kiosk, through the healthier dining. Um, look, the Starbucks story to me in my own household, I see it with my 12 year old. Um, it's a great place to, to, to for my daughter to go meet her girlfriends. And and there's affordability and there's actually uh, some element of, of of cool factor. And it's amazing. And I think the, the stimulus dynamic and the reopening dynamic of Starbucks and, and you know luxury that people can afford. Um, I think they're going to Starbucks. And, and if you look at the escalation in, in terms of where those Jan comps were uh, and impute that upon the next quarter, uh, I think it's going to be a big year. All right, coming up, the sky's the limit. Investors piling into Kathy Wood's newest ETF, the Space and Innovation ETF. But what's inside is hardly out of this world. We'll explain. And later, crack open a cold one. We'll tell you why we got beer, the beer trade on tap tonight. And as we head to break, we are celebrating Financial Literacy Month all month long. We're sharing messages from business leaders about the importance of financial education. Here's Acorn CEO Noah Kerner. In money, as in everything, knowledge is power. And it's not just about knowing, it's about remembering at the right moments so that you make the right decisions. You need to remember the power of sticking with it during difficult times. You need to remember that every downturn in history has ended in an upturn. You need to remember that the eighth wonder of the world is compounding. And if you can remember those things, you will have a much better and more financially healthy life.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out ARK Invest's new Space Exploration and Innovation ETF, trading lower today, but that's not stopping investors from piling in. The fund seeing more than $440 million of inflows in its first four days of trading. Analysts say the fund is on pace to top $1 billion in assets within days, but don't think this ETF is out of this world just yet. Dear, yes, the tractor maker, is among the fund's top 15 holdings. So is this a classic case of no what you own. Netflix is also in there. Lockheed Martin is in there. Boeing and other manufacturers are in there. Um, Guy Dami, what do you think? Well, they're going to need a lot of rototillers on the moon, apparently, so it makes a lot of sense to me. And you got to watch something <laughs> while you're out there. So Netflix fits. No, I, you know, listen, know what you own, absolutely. I'm not going to cast aspersions on the, on the ETF or what comprises it. But what I will say is, you know, in terms of John Deere, if you want to drill down, I mean, people will knock the stock. The stock has been amazing, 20 times forward earnings, not expensive given their earnings growth. So whether it's in a space ETF or not, Deere and company makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Nadine? You know, when we own ETFs, I'm looking for a specific exposure. So, for example, if I'm getting CNBS, I want cannabis. I'm not looking for Deer, I'm not looking for also cross-asset potential correlation. So, for example, in Kathy's ETF, they also own their 3D printing ETF in it. And that makes me a little bit nervous. She's a smart lady. I wish her well. Um, but again, when we use ETFs, it's to gain a very specific exposure. So I prefer things that are more clean. Yeah. Tim, what do you, what do you think of this? I mean, the case can be made that Deere has technology, that it's innovative, but then at the same time, you can make the case for almost every single company in the S&P 500 because everybody uses technology and sensors and, you know, you, you can make all sorts of cases that lots of companies are innovative. Yeah, so I, I think part of this is just a, a dearth of, of pure play ideas to bet on space. And, you know, defense names are all going to be involved. Obviously, you talk aerospace and we could just, you know, go with that ETF. So, um, I, I think, yes, there's a, there's a lot of unknown. First of all, congrats to Kathy Wood. She's minted yet another great product. Um, and we've seen this with blockchain. Uh, we've seen this with other kind of thematics. Uh, again, I run an ETF. It's a pure play. I think that's what investors want. But know what you own. Totally agree. Yep. Coming up, crude closing in the green today, but options traders are betting the energy trade could lose some power. We've got that next. Plus, it's always 5 o'clock here on Fast Money. We'll tell you what is America feeling so bubbly today. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with Applied Materials CEO Gary Dickerson. You can catch that full interview top of the hour on Mad Money. Now let's check out today's move in oil. WTI crude all over the place today, but finishing the green after dipping into the red mid-session. Despite today's rebound, the energy trade is still down about 2% this week, and options traders are gearing up for what could be a cruel summer for the space. Tony Zhang joins us with the action. Tony, what'd you see? Yeah, so today on XLE, the ETF that tracks the energy shares, we saw some pretty sizable, uh, some unusual activity here. Now, XLE trades fairly actively, on average about 210,000 contracts a day. But today was fairly quiet, only a little bit more than half of that traded. But we did see one large unusually bearish trade where a trader laid out more than a quarter of a million dollars in premium to buy 1,347 contracts of the September $44 puts, paying about $2.02 for those puts. Now keep in mind, this...
All right, we're having problems with Tony's uh, audio, but uh, bottom line here is oil. XLE could have a rough couple of months. Steve Grasso, how do you feel on this trade, which went from way under love to very loved? Yeah, this this is one especially uh, as major secular headwinds. Obviously, we're going to a a greener world uh, for alternate energy, but the Biden administration was supposedly going to be the death knell for fossil fuels. That has not happened. XLE has had its best year to date. It did nothing for five years. You have to stay with fossil fuels to some extent. It's the most non-consensus trade, and it's worked tremendously. All right. Our thanks to Tony. Um, And for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, the happy hour trade. Why beer stocks could be bubbling with opportunity. Fast Money's back in two. crack open a cold one because it is National Beer Day. Anheuser-Busch, Constellation Brands, Molson Coors, and Boston Beer all having very different years. So which one of these beer stocks would you party with? Tim, what do you say? I uh, love Constellation, although I prefer a nice cold watery Molson, uh, sorry, Coors Light or Miller Light. And, and uh, you know, that's just how I roll. But, uh, you know, in terms of the stocks, STZ has shown actually that their beer volume has been, been strong even during contracting times. Guy? And you got with stars, you got the stars. STZ, you got the kicker cannabis for sure. You know, I'm not necessarily a beer person, as you can imagine, but I'll go Yingling. <laughs> I'll go the oldest mm. family owned uh, brewery in the country, which, by the way, I did a shoot at for the Fast Money back in the day. You should see the archives of that footage, Mel. That's, that's like classic Fast. That goes way back. You need to go in the way back machine to, to see that footage. That's, that's for sure. Um, it's time now for the final trade. We're going to go around the horn. Why not? Steve Grasso on the phone. Final trade. I'm going to uh, finish where we started out. So Jamie Dimon said that the consumer is going to be flush with cash. So I'm going to go with a stock, Capri Holdings, CPRI. That one during normalized earnings. Uh, Michael Kors does an absurd amount of money, and we're getting back there. Capri Holdings. Tim Seymour. Yeah, you know, back to Starbucks. Look, 35 times 22 earnings is, you know, where I think this stock's $125, $130 stock. Love it. It's been a good friend in good times and bad. Stay there. Nadine Terman. Going back to Jamie Dimon, we're seeing some inflation. And even if it's just moderated inflation, you got to go long energy. So I'd pick Exxon. Uh, obviously a leader, and we're seeing with our internal trading ranges, there's asymmetry to the name versus, you know, I've pitched BP and Chenier in the past few weeks, but Exxon is the one that looks like uh, closer in near-term upside. Guy Adami? I'm going to drop a little PSA on the audience. Not only does Yingling make outstanding beer, (laughs) some of the best ice cream you'll ever have is from Yingling, Mal. The more you know. Do we have that little graphic? The more you know. Yeah. Okay. You know what? You're, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate your sarcasm's unbecoming. Uh, Blackstone BX. Mad Money's up next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, 
positively FedEx. 